0: Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53. I've been looking at a few verses here in Isaiah 53 throughout the week, and I've been impressed by this chapter again, and how it speaks about so many different aspects of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw in verse number 5, the first night or on Sunday afternoon, that he is one who heals. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ can bring healing to you tonight. We saw that in verse number 6, we have strayed from the standard that God has set, but we thank God that he has established his own standard and he has sent his own son to be the one who truly lives up to it and the one who even died under the law of God, the one who provided salvation for all. We saw also in verse number 8, He was taken from prison and from judgment. We notice that last line. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And we enjoyed that night how it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who received the blow of justice so that you wouldn't be punished. We saw last night in verse number four that he is the one who carried the load. And as we go through each verse, We can see how the Lord Jesus fills every need. He answers every question. He addresses every problem. And you can look at him tonight and you can see in him a savior from your sins. One who will heal you. One who went to the cross for you. One who cares for you. And one who carried your load. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. You won't be disappointed. In fact, in him you will find true, lasting, and eternal salvation. Let's read another verse from this amazing chapter, verse number 10. Verse number 10 in Isaiah 53 is the latter part of the chapter. And to give a little bit more background about Isaiah 53, we're coming into a part of the book of Isaiah where he's speaking about the children of Israel. And as they are looking now to the future, they're looking, sorry, they're looking backwards And they're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. We all know, if you've been here for the meetings in this series, you know that as they took him to the cross, they despised him and they rejected him. But on a future day, they will look back and as the Lord opens their eyes, they will say these words. They will admit these truths that he truly was God's own son who was dying on the cross. And not just some man, not just a criminal, but actually their Savior. And I trust that'll be your experience tonight, that as you look and you hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't see him just as another man, but that you'll see him as your own Savior. Let's read verse number 10. As I said, we get down to the second half, and I'll read it and then explain a little bit more about these last three verses. It says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And I'd really like to focus on that specific line for this message. But the rest of the verse says this, He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So as we come to these last three verses, 10, 11, and 12, if you were to read the three of them, you'll see that word, soul, that appears in each one of those verses and it's an emphasis on the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ and I'd like to speak to you tonight about what happened to the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was an offering for sin but really the word that's been coming to mind as I think about this verse I like to think about one word and I'd like to drill it into your mind and it's this word it's the word robbery and where I get that word from is this third line of the verse when thou shalt make his soul in offering for sin. That offering is a very specific offering, and I'll mention it later on in the message, and I'll try not to make it complicated. I'll make it very simple. At least that will uh, be what I'll attempt to do. It's a specific kind of offering. It's called a guilt or a trespass offering. The point is this. The offering is made because someone has offended, and we could say they have robbed God, so they need to make restitution that's why in another version of the bible it's called the net version another good version i would commend to you it says here in the third line after he makes restitution so i'd like to speak to you about this tonight about how it is that god's own son had to needed to went to the cross to make restitution to make restoration Normally, when we think of restoration, we think of restoration in this context. You take something from someone, you steal it, and then you need to restore it. We lived in Mexico for quite a few years, and I had a lot of things. My wife and I, we had a lot of things stolen. And that's not to pick on Mexico. That happens here in Detroit. I'm sure it does. But we lived in Mexico, and it happened all the time. You know, we had a car outside on the street, and many times I'd go to the car in the morning, and one time the stereo was gone. And the next day, they didn't replace it. You know what he did give me? He gave me the razor that he used to cut my stereo out of the car, and he left his blood all over the dashboard. He didn't give me the money back or the stereo back. Out of that same car, I remember my wallet was stolen. And one time, they brought my ID card. But they didn't bring the money in the wallet, and they didn't bring the wallet back. And the list could go on and on of all the things that were stolen from our vehicle. One time, they stole our car seats. Another time, they stole my Bible bag, my favorite leather Bible bag, and now I have to carry my Bible with my own hand. Well, sometimes they steal your things, and they don't restore them. Those are just petty things. You know, sometimes we saw in Mexico other people, they would would get things stolen from them that were a lot more important than just a wallet. You see, one time we lived on the corner for a few years. Downtown Guadalajara, we lived on the corner of this very busy street, very narrow streets, And on the corner of the building we lived in was a store. So there's our house, and on the corner of the building is a store. And we'd always talk to the ladies that work there every single day. And as they went out one morning, I asked how she was doing. and She said, well, I'm not doing very well. We were robbed today. And I said, you were robbed? We didn't hear anything. We're literally, we shared walls. And she said, yes. They came in. This is very common. They came in. They blindfolded us. And then they t- tied our hands behind our back. And they beat us up and they threw us into one room and we were calling for help. And our courtyard was right beside there. But you guys couldn't hear us. (laughs) My children were playing outside as these people were tied up in the room. And as they left them there, they stole everything inside the room. You know, it gets even more serious. In Mexico, there's this famous phrase, los cuarenta y tres, and that means the 43 that have disappeared. There are some people, a few people in the room know uh, some missionaries that work in Iguala, Mexico. And 43 people from that city They disappeared. And all over the city of Guadalajara, where we lived, they're finding graves full of bodies. And they can't even piece them together and identify who they were. And they have lists and lists. And all over the streets of Guadalajara, you'll see signs, and you'll see big plaques, and you'll see people screaming and talking about the fact that their family members have disappeared. They were stolen. They were robbed. And as we think of things in the world that have been taken, people who have committed Robbery, people who have stolen, when I think of the scripture, there is one robbery that is the greatest robbery in all of human history. And it is this, it is that you and I have robbed God. Robbed God. Robbed God himself. Much greater than my wallet. Even greater and with all due respect and sympathy, sympathy for those people who are grieving this very day. An even greater robbery than having a family member abducted. We've robbed God. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8, they ask the question, Can a man rob God? And the answer is this, you have robbed me. One thing that we need to notice about this third verse is that when the Lord Jesus Christ makes restitution it's not for something that he has stolen and that's why we read there's a psalm a verse in psalm chapter 69 or psalm number 69 and it says there shall i restore that which i took not away and when we read this third line we see the man who was restoring something he didn't steal I'd like to go to those men that stole my stereo and my wallet and my Bible bag and our car seats. And the list goes on. One time they even stole just the glass from my mirror. That was an annoying day. And I'd like to go back to them and I'd like to say, can you give it back? Can you please give it back? It's not going to happen. You know what? When we read this third line, we see a man who came in. He saw your plight. He saw the fact that you robbed God. And he said, I will make the payment for what you have taken from God. It's a robbery. You could almost call it highway robbery from God himself. And you're the culprit. You're the culprit. But the Lord Jesus is the one and he pays. He makes restitution. In Mexico, there's this place where we'd like to visit. Went there quite a few times, and uh, it's called Chichen Itza. It's this big, massive pyramid, pyramid of uh, tiger pyramid, they call it. And on this pyramid it's very beautiful you can see on um, the summer and the sorry the spring and the fall equinox you can see it looks like a snake that would go down as the sun comes down the shadow of it almost looks like a snake coming down the stairs These people were absolutely brilliant they were geniuses the Mayan civilization you can stand in front of the pyramid and if you clap in a certain spot it sounds like the chirp of a quetzal bird And you can go to the court where they would play games, and if you clap, it will echo exactly nine times. These people were absolutely, totally brainiacs. All the men who built those pyramids, and the women as well, I'm sure. But as you travel that whole compound, you go to a place, and it's what they call a cenote. And inside this massive hole in the ground, which is full of water, they've gone down, and they've dug it up. You know what they find? They find bodies. The bodies of adults. Skeletons, obviously, of adults, and of young people, and of children. You know what they're trying to do? You know what they were doing at that time? They would do it there, and they would do it on other pyramids, all those many years ago. They would take those bodies, and they would try to pay their gods back. Pay their gods back for the things that they have done. And one thing I'd really like to impress on your mind tonight is, is that it is absolutely impossible to pay God back. Those people were so smart... They were so intelligent. You can go to another compound. It's called Teotihuacan, and it's over in the center of the country. And I've climbed those pyramids. You've probably heard of the Pyramid of the Sun. And they're absolutely magnificent. And to climb to the top and to see that main avenue, the Avenue of the Dead, as they call it, and to see how they structured everything, and everything is in correspondence, all the pyramids with each other, and the mathematics that would have been necessary to make it. And you think to yourself, they were so smart but they would do something so silly. They thought they could pay and make restoration for their own sins. I'm looking at intelligent people in the room tonight, every single one of you. I'm looking at smart people. And I know it's not because of a lack of intelligence, but there are people in the room tonight and you're trying to make restitution for your sins. I want to tell you on the authority of the word of God, it is absolutely impossible to make restitution for your sins. You can never have enough money to give to God to pay him back for what you've robbed from him. You can never offer your life. You can never take your own son or take your own family member and throw it in a pit and say, oh God, receive this, it means so much to me. You can never pay God for the robbery that you have committed. But as I read this wonderful third line, I find there, Some of the most beautiful and tragic and helpful words in all the Bible. I want to read it again, and I'm going to give you the other rendering as we think about the robbery that we have made. It says this, When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. The other version says this, When he makes restitution. He is the only one who can go to God And say to him, I will pay. And in the remaining time that I have, I want to tell you about the fact that he paid. And I want to tell you about the form that he paid in. And I want to tell you about the fullness of the payment. So first of all, the fact that he paid. When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he made that payment to God, I want you to think about him before he goes to the cross. There's a few verses in the New Testament and they talk about what the Lord Jesus was feeling. And I'm thinking about the word soul. He had a soul. He was a real person. There was a reality to him. There was a humanity to him. He was a real man. And as he thought about the cross that was coming before him, do you know what he thought? There was actually trouble in his soul. We use that word soul trouble to talk about people that want to be saved. But the Lord Jesus himself had soul trouble, not because he wanted to be saved, but he said himself, my soul is troubled. Do you know why? Because he was looking forward to the payment that he had to make. It was no small payment. It was no small sacrifice. It was no light experience, but he looked forward to it. And he even said on one occasion, I have a baptism to be baptized with and oh, how I'm straightened until I accomplish it. The Lord Jesus Christ Was looking forward to the cross, and as he went, he said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And as the Lord Jesus looked forward to the payment he was going to make, he went willingly, he went as a determined person, and he would say, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air they have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you know why? Because he wouldn't rest until he went to the cross, he wouldn't rest until the job was done. He wouldn't rest until the payment was made, but it was no small payment. I just want to tell you about the form of this payment. It says right here, look at that verse again, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Do you know what he used to pay? It wasn't a shekel. It wasn't a dollar. It wasn't a peso. It says right here, the currency that he used, his soul. His soul, his own soul. When he went to the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, hanging there, gave his own life. That is to say, he gave his life. When it says he gave his soul, he was giving his own life to pay for your robbery. As you think about the form in which the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross, think about your own sins. Nothing you can do about it. No way you can cover it. No way you could pay for it. But the Lord Jesus Christ went and he gave his own soul. But there's a second part to the way in which he paid. And this is where I'd like to explain to you very carefully and I hope simply about that word trespass offering in the Old Testament. You see the Jews, they had a legal system, the Old Testament. And in this legal system, they had different offerings. One of the offerings was called a trespass offering. And the reason they had a trespass offering, you'll read about it in Leviticus 5 and 6, and you'll read about this. These people that would go, and they had offended God, and they would offer an animal, and it had to be an animal called a ram, and they would offer it, and it it says this in Leviticus 5. They had to make amends. They had to make it right. And then it says this. They had to add the fifth part thereto. So they had to make it right, and then they had to add to it. And the point is this. When this verse says that the Lord Jesus Christ was a trespass offering for sin, it means that when he died on the cross, he made it right. But he added to it. He added thereto. He made it right in terms of your robbery and he even added thereto. Do you know what I mean by that? There's a few illustrations that I want to use just to explain that and make it a little bit clearer. You see, in the book of Ruth, there's a lady and she comes and she wants to be married to this man. To make it a long story short, she wants to be married to this man, Boaz. And what he does is according to the law of the kinsman, he takes this woman and he makes her not just a worker, But he makes her his wife. He brings her into the family, but he also makes her his own wife. And what you see here is the Lord Jesus Christ and God himself when he paid for sin on the cross. It wasn't just to leave your account at zero. It was to bring you in. To bring you in. So that you would be a member of his own family family you know you can you can bring someone in i heard this illustration when you see the president of the united states when he wakes up in the morning you know he doesn't press his own suit i know he makes his own tweets but most of the things he does he doesn't do himself and somebody will come in and they'll drive him from one place to another and i'm sure when he writes his speeches someone else is there just like all the other presidents and well most of them and they'll write their speeches for them And someone cleans his room and somebody makes his food and so on and so on. But when he stands out there and he's doing a press conference, or when he gives a State of the Union address and he stands before the Union, he doesn't stand there with the maid. And he doesn't stand there with his chauffeur. And he doesn't stand there with his tailor. He stands there alone. You know what this is saying? The Lord Jesus Christ, when he went and he paid for that robbery that you made, What he's doing is he wants to bring you and save you and bring you into his family, but not just as a servant and not just as a maid, not just as a tailor or a chauffeur. He wants to bring you and even put you right there beside him, part of his own family. It wasn't just to leave you at zero but it was to give you more than you could ever dream of. To give you a salvation, but to give you security for all eternity. I want to tell you, when I look at those religions down in Mexico, those ancient religions, and as I look at those pyramids and we walk around those ancient sites, you know, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. Yeah, wonderful, isn't it? Not one of those men experienced the blessing of being brought in to the family of God. But you have that opportunity tonight. You've robbed him. You've taken from him. You've stolen from God himself. And you, not only can you not, you did not pay for what you've stolen, but the Lord Jesus Christ did. He made restoration. He made restitution. He paid for your robbery. And he added there too. If you receive him tonight, if you receive what he's done, him himself, and see what he's done for you, you will receive his salvation. And you will be with him for all eternity. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved.